All right, Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine and in Russia and with the Russian frozen assets. But let's start things off with uh, how about a quick update on what's going on in uh, in the front lines? Mm, absolutely. Well, the Russians continue on the move. That's the information we're getting. They are in the process of capturing another village close to um, Avdevka. They seem to be attacking two two directions from Avdevka. This bitter article from in the Daily Telegraph today, Ukrainian soldiers speaking to the Daily Telegraph, complaining about the impossible situation that they're in on the front lines in the Avdevka area. And one of them, interestingly, blurted out again, that he wants peace with Russia. So you see a collapse of morale, very great deal of disorganization, and the Russians on the move in the Avdevka area. And they're on the move in many other places as well. They are gradually working towards the encirclement in the south of a place called Vugladar, which is a sort of important fortress, sit town that the Ukrainians... Um, have uh, you know heavily fortified, a bit like Avdevka itself, in the south, controls southern Donbass, and the Russians seem to be, I mean, they're gradually working towards capturing all the villages that connect, the, the communications to Vugladar connect together. And yesterday, um, a very panicky uh, email, uh, a message from a Ukrainian journalist in the area saying that Vugladar is now at serious risk of encirclement. And also, they're attacking in other places as well. In the Bakhmut area, they're in the process of um, storming a village called Krasnoye, or at least the Russians call it that, the Ukrainians call it Ivanivska. They seem to be moving towards capturing another town near to Bakhmut called Chasov Yar. After they've captured those places, other possibilities start to open up um, for further advances in that area too, and then there is a huge uncertainty about what they're doing in two other in two other places, in Zaporozhye in the south, where they're also on the attack, and in the Kupiansk Liman area, where they seem to be concentrating huge numbers of troops, and people are wondering whether a big offensive in that part of um, the conflict area is coming. And last but not least, I think we mentioned it the other day, but the Krinky bridgehead that Ukraine established east of the Dnieper appears to have now fully collapsed. The Russians seem to be in full control of that village. So the Russians on the move everywhere across the front lines. And I'm going to add something else, which is that over the last few weeks, months, as we've discussed in various programs we've done, on the Duran, there's been this narrative that has been circulating in the West that the war is in stalemate. Now, what has happened with the fall of Avdevka is that it's shattered that narrative. The most heavily fortified town in um, along the front lines has been captured by the Russians, and you can see the admissions now starting to creep through that the war is not really in stalemate at all, that the Russians, in fact, are winning. 
So the the fact that uh, this is starting to be accepted that the Russians are winning, as you said, it's starting to creep to creep in that that Russia has won this. Um, we are seeing uh, sanctions hysteria. Um, more talk about the seizing or the stealing, depending on how you you want to look at it, of the three hundred billion in Russian assets. Uh, Ten legal legal experts have now said, yeah, this is absolutely legal and lawful to to steal uh, Russian assets. Um, handpicked legal experts is how it looks, but Bloomberg reported on this, and uh, we've gotten the announcement today, both from the EU and from the US. Uh, a lot of uh, of sanctions against entities, institutions, individuals, as well as uh, companies located outside of Russia. And this has to do not only with the two-year anniversary of uh, the conflict in Ukraine, but uh, Biden specifically is saying this is also punishment for uh, Navalny. Uh, stuff like 500 individuals and, and entities have been sanctioned by the U.S. and the EU is starting to sanction uh, secondary sanctions on companies in, in China and Turkey and um, and India and all kinds of these and all kinds of things like like this. What's what's going on here? This well, is not going to end well. No, it is for, not for, going for the to collective end West. Well. <laughs> it's not no. going to end well. No, it is not going to end well at all. Let's start with the, with the seizure of the assets. Now, um, I should say first of all that if you have enough uh, money to pay fees and things like that, if you search long enough to find a lawyer who will give you an advice that whatever it is that you want to do, however wrong or illegal or inappropriate it is, that it's actually perfectly legal if you're prepared to search hard enough, you will always find such a person. And that's what's happened. I mean, we're talking about the G7. They put together, um, obviously, a, a team to hunt down the lawyers who will come up with the advice that tells you tells them that you know seizing these Russian assets is fine. It's not a problem. We actually look at the advice that's been given. It's not actually legal advice. It's a declaratory statement saying you know the Russians have violated international law, so it's perfectly fine to seize their assets, which is of course completely wrong in legal terms. I mean, even if you've committed a crime. It doesn't mean that your property can simply be seized. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, the argumentation is obviously flawed to the point of absurdity. But they've got the legal advice. The problem they have doing all of that is that the person who knows about this best, and not just him, her, but lots of other people, but the president of the chief executive, sorry, of Euroclear where the bulk of these assets is, she's now gone public and she's clearly do, doing so with the backing of the ECB, the, uh, the European Central Bank. And she's saying this is completely illegal. She's also pretty much saying that doing it is theft. She's saying that if you do that, you're undermining, you're undermining, you're compromising the position of Euroclear, which is this... Um, fund where governments uh, often place money. It's specifically intended for that kind of thing. It also, by the way, handles the money received by governments from bond payments. So when, let's say, the government of Britain wants to float euro bonds, if they were to decide to do that, 
the money would go through would usually be parked through Euroclear. I mean, Euroclear is a major institution in the financial world. Anyway, she's saying it's absolutely wrong. She's pretty much said it would be theft if it were done. And she said, I hope that rational decisions are made in this case, which is her way of saying what is proposed, the theft of these assets, the seizure of these assets, the idea of floating loans using these assets as collateral, which is another crazy idea that she shot that she shot down. Well, she's saying this is irrational. In other words, it's mad. But they've now got the legal advice. The word is they'll make a decision tomorrow, time for the second anniversary of the start of the special military operation. That's the 24th of February. We'll see what they do. So, I mean, it's 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 crazy. But, but that's where they, it could be that that's where they're going. That tells you everything you need to know, the fact that they're timing this on the 24th or yeah, possibly timing this on the 24th. Absolutely. And I mean, what, we, what got about the, a- we got, that's why we got this, uh, this, as I said, pho- this phony legal advice from these people. As I said, you, you will always find a lawyer uh, who will, uh, you know, if you want to do something that's wrong, you will always eventually, if you look hard enough, find a lawyer who will justify it. That's not how you get seek legal advice, by the way, but that's how it's done in this case. What about all the other sanctions that they're placing? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, people uh, connected uh, to Navalny. Uh, The interesting part, I think, is sanctioning uh, Indian companies, China, uh, Turkish companies. I think that's that's also going a step too far, a step into the abyss for for the collective West. Well, this is absolutely correct. First of all, it's not going to please the governments of these countries. And India in particular, I suspect, is going to be very angry. The Chinese will shrug their shoulders. <laughs> but um, it is the ultimate weapon that the West thinks it has in financial and economic war, which is to sanction companies. Um, it, it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to change the overall picture. There might briefly be, you know, a a sort of rearrangement and an adjustment in trade flows. But ultimately, in order to block out the Russians completely from global trade, you would probably have to sanction everybody. And there is no limit to the number of people you would need to sanction. And, you know, tying it all to Navalny as well. I mean, what do companies in Turkey or India have to do with Navalny? I mean, it, it, it already looks grotesquely and ridiculously unfair. Anyway, that's, again, what they do. Complicating world trade, by the way, even further, raising costs, making it very difficult to um, ship goods around the world because, of course, all kinds of people are going to be worrying about whether they're dealing with a sanctioned entity or a company that is connected to a sanctioned entity or a businessman who might have some connections to a sanctions entity. Um, there will be even more smuggling, even more corruption, even more middlemen operating. All it does is disrupt world trade. It inflates costs. It loses friends. And of course, it hastens the work towards setting up global trading networks independent of the West. It's incredibly stupid. And if you look at the sanctions, the people it's supposed to target, who are the Russians, are not going to be affected.
Yeah, can you explain uh, uh, very quickly the the news that uh, Chinese banks, that some of the big major Chinese banks, are turning away Russian clients? Is that an indication that the, at least, would this be an indication for the Biden White House and the EU leaders that uh, their sanctions are working, and this maybe motivates them or gives them encouragement to continue you know, down this path of sanctions? You know, we've heard this before. <laughs> this this very same thing has happened before. I remember it was happening back in March uh, 2022. Stories about Chinese banks uh, pulling back and not giving accounts to major Russian clients. But of course, the government of China is committed to the relationship between Russia and China. And the government of China owns the banks. So they will find banks... There are lots of banks in China and financial institutions that will work to sort this out. The same with Turkey, by the way. Uh, there will be a brief knock. There always is. And then the system adjusts, as it did in March 2022, and as it will do globally. Okay, so they're going to, most likely, they're going to steal these these assets. Um, how does this hurt the, the U.S.? And how will this hurt the, the European Union? This is going to hurt the European Union a lot more. Yeah. It's I imagine that the flow will be, first, people will move out of the EU, and they'll probably park whatever um, money they have, whatever capital they have in the US, and eventually they'll, they'll want to get out of the US as well. But I imagine something like that is going to be the, the, the immediate, the, the short to medium term scenario. Well, possibly. But I get to say something. I think that there is a view that, you know, it's the Europeans who are going to be affected most because this money is in the EU and it's held in euros and it's held in Euroclear and such things. And that perhaps in the very short term is true. But people around the world, governments around the world, financial entities around the world understand perfectly well that the initiative for this is coming from the United States. And they're going to say to themselves, well, if the Americans are prepared to press the Europeans to do this, that means that they're prepared to do, to do this themselves. We can't risk, in the end, placing or keeping our money in the United States. So if any money does go to the United States as a result of this, it will, I suspect, be only for a very short time. What it is going to do, as I said, is it's going to hasten the construction of an alternative financial architecture, which is accelerating. Great advertisement for BRICS. Yeah. Courtesy well, of exactly. the Biden White House. Well, what, well, what, exactly. what is the... Yeah. Say they get the $300 billion, Say they steal the $300 billion, they get the $61 billion, and then they have this $50 billion from the EU over four years. Uh, Ukraine is also entering into various IMF uh, loans and IMF agreements. It's, it's incredible that the, that the IMF is actually also loaning money to, to Ukraine. Um, that's probably a whole other separate video right there. But um, say, say they get all this money in the next couple of weeks and they make the announcements. We've got a $300 billion, $61 billion, and then we have the $50 billion. What does that do as far as uh, the conflict in Ukraine is concerned? About the war, very little. Yeah, um, the United States is now saying that they will supply Attackums missiles to Ukraine. You remember this long story that they wouldn't supply Attackums missiles? Um, they've run out of everything else to send. 
they haven't got the shelves, they haven't got the tanks, the F-16s are only being supplied in small numbers because they're not that many of them that they can supply, there aren't that many pilots, and the runways get damaged all the time. There was a report, in fact, there wasn't a report, there was a film yesterday which showed the Russians destroying a Patriot missile system in Ukraine, in Kherson region. There's reports that five out of seven of the Patriot missile systems that the West delivered to Ukraine have now been destroyed. So the Ukrainians are now down to just two. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's not going to make a fundamental difference to the military situation. And, but what it will do is that it will keep the laundry <laughs> moving. So you have $500 billion altogether to play with, which will probably be enough to pay most, to pay everybody off. And that's what it's all about now. I mean, it seems to me, I mean, I'm sorry that sounds desperately cynical, but it's cynical because it is. I mean, that is the situation. I mean, they spent, what, a trillion dollars on Iraq? <laughs> they spent, um, um, I think, more than that on Afghanistan. And, of course, we're heading now into that kind of territory with uh, Ukraine. Of course, if you add the money that they funneled into Ukraine before the special military operation began, it's more than that. But, you know, the point is that all the people who need to be paid off will have been paid off. And that's probably what this is really focused upon at this time. Is... Uh... Is Zelensky any closer to to admitting that uh, he has to enter to, into negotiations with Russia, given the circumstances? I, I, I haven't seen any sign of this. I mean, he did make a very bitter speech at the Munich Security Conference in which he all but said that the West was betraying Ukraine. But my own view about Zelensky is that his own personal interest now is in continuing the war as long as he can. I think that entering into negotiations, all that's going to do is it's going to stop the money flows. And the most important priority is to keep the money still flowing. So he, he needs to keep the money moving towards Ukraine. Um, again, he has to pay all sorts of people in Ukraine off. Perhaps he has to pay himself off, just saying. So, I mean, you know, why therefore should he end the war? It doesn't really make any sense for him. So on the one hand, because I don't think he's a man wholly without conscience, by the way, despite what people say, I think he's deeply shocked and distressed about the realities of what's going on on the battlefields. I mean, he was touring the battle lines, as I said, we discussed this in our previous video. He looked in deep distress, even as he was doing so. But at the end of the day, if you're looking at the question in terms of dollars and cents, it's more important for him to keep things going. And he will do so, he will continue to do so for a few more, uh, for as long as he possibly can. And um, it's, um, you know, it's probably going to be well, he hopes, I think, perhaps another year if he gets all this money. Now, I ought to say, though, that um, the um, 
word that's circulating in the United States. There's an article today in ABC which says that um, Ukraine is due to run out of critical weapons by the end of March, by late March. In other words, in a month's time. Even if Congress were to authorise the $61 billion tomorrow, which they're not because they are on leave until the 28th of March, and you have to get by Speaker Johnson... February, sorry, 28th, 28th of February. February. You're yeah. quite right, 28th of February. And you have to get by uh, Speaker Johnson and all of that. I mean, even then, you won't be able to get huge numbers of weapons to Ukraine, even assuming those weapons existed by the end of March. But I suspect, by the way, that that story about Ukraine fully running out of all weapons by the end of March is probably in part intended to put extra pressure on, rep on, on Republicans in Congress to get them to vote. What I'm hearing, though, I mean, I read what's a hearing. I mean, I read it today um, in uh, one of the media outlets. I think it was the, te the Telegraph. Is that apparently um, representatives, Republican representatives in Congress, are now receiving lots and lots of messages from Republicans across the United States, the people who vote for them, saying that we are deeply opposed to funding for Ukraine. And that may be having an effect as well. Yeah. Um, before, before I get to, I want to talk a bit about Medvedev and what he said, your thoughts there. But what about the F-16s? There's reports that the F-16s will arrive by the summer, I believe, the beginning of summer. Yeah. June, June make, is the make any June. difference? Yeah. No, well, <laughs> yeah. they will make they will make a certain difference at the beginning. This has been the story with all of these weapons, the attackums. And by the way, on the session, on the question of the attackums, Victoria Nuland has been out and about, and she's effectively inciting Western governments that have attackums missiles. I believe some of the Baltic states do to give them to Ukraine. Just saying, I mean, she's, you, she's been making statements to that effect. So even if the United States in the end doesn't supply attackers missiles, it's quite likely that we're going to see attackers missiles supplied by Ukraine. But anyway, to, to Ukraine by some of the US's NATO allies. But the point to say is all of these weapon systems, the F-16s, the attackers, what happens is that they appear... There's a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, that they do have some kind of an impact. Then the Russians figure them out, and then they're neutralized. And the same will be true of the F-16s. Now, there are problems with the F-16s. There are not that many of them. The number of pilots who've been trained to fly them, supposedly, we always be careful about these claims, but supposedly is quite limited. The, the training, if they are Ukrainian pilots, that these pilots will have re received cannot remotely be sufficient for them to f fly these aircraft in a proficient way to take on the Russian Air Force. And of course, there are major problems as the Ukrainian air defense uh, people are admitting, openly admitting, with basing these aircraft in Ukraine. The runways aren't ready. The Russians are bombing the runways. Um, 
it might not be an easy thing to operate for Ukraine itself. But the thing to say about the F-16s, the Russians have now perfected the means to shoot down Ukrainian fighters from very, very long ranges, longer ranges than the missiles, the F-16 itself operates with. So beyond a certain point, the Russians will start shooting them down. It's what always happens. Happened with the storm shadows. The storm shadows made a big impact for about two or three weeks. Now the Russians regularly shoot them down. They shoot, they shoot down or have countered the HIMARS missiles. They've destroyed apparently most of the um, most of the Patriots. The German tanks were a disaster. So more wonder weapons. They're not going to make any difference. Even Western officials admit this, which begs the question of why they're supplying them at all. Okay, well, why are they supplying them? This leads us into Medvedev's uh, comments where he has said, uh, sent a warning to NATO and he has said that, look, if, uh, if those F-16s are flying out of uh, airfields in Eastern Europe, in NATO uh, member states, well, then you know, perhaps we have to consider them as a, as a party to this conflict. I mean, that's what Medvedev said. Yes, I mean, the, he did. It, He's right. I mean, <laughs> it is, oh, yeah. So what? So what happens there? And, and going back to the attackums. Okay, so you have F sixteens flying out of well, let's just say Romania, right? Okay, let's say F sixteens are flying out of Romania. Um, attackums have, have a long distance. They have a long range. So so I would imagine that they're able to hit deep inside Crimea and, and deep inside Russia as well, Russia proper, the, the attackums. So what happens if they do score one or two successes in, in the early, uh, early part of, uh, of these weapons deliveries? Uh, what, what happens then? Because we're not, we're not just talking about, you know, HIMAR um, uh, systems hitting, hitting the, the Russian military. We're talking about, long-range attackums and, and F-16s. Right. I like, think, ha, what, what does Russia do? I think, I think with the attackums and, you know, the Taurus missiles from Germany, if they're ever supplied, and there's chaos in Germany about this, this, this matter, by the way, um, which we, 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 we can discuss another time. But the long-range missiles, I think the Russians are on top of. And um, I doubt that even these missiles have the range to reach Russian territory, including Crimea, from um, the territory of NATO states. F-16s are a completely different matter. If the F-16s are based in Romania and Poland, then, in effect, Romania and Poland are directly involved in the war. And the Russians say that in that situation, they would have a right to take, and this isn't just Medvedev, by the way, they would have a right to take action against those bases from which these aircraft are flying. And to be honest, I think that would be an absolutely reckless thing to do. And I, I get the sense that the mood in Romania and Poland is turning against this idea as well. But... You know, we'll have to wait and see what exactly it is that the administration does in the summer 
Um, it is a very dangerous administration, as we've discussed many times. It does incredibly reckless and dangerous things. And um, if the Russians do respond by attacking any bases from which the F-16s are flying in Eastern Europe, we'll have to see then what the response is going to be and how it, how it will plan, plan out. All right. Uh, just a final question. Uh, Kiev, Odessa, from Medvedev's comments. Yeah, I, 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 I think. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he spoke very clearly about this. Um, and I think that the thing to understand about Medvedev is what he says today, Putin says tomorrow. So just, just keep that in mind. I, I have always said. I cannot imagine the special military operation ending without some arrangement <coughs> about Odessa. It looks like Kiev as well. All right, we will end the video there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran shop. 15% off all t-shirts. Take care.